Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Long before my guest on this episode became the terrifyingly deadpan drug dealer on Euphoria, she was a hilariously deadpan stand-up comedian. I'm really excited to be here tonight um, at this great show with all these great comics. And I'm also really excited to tell you about the new business that I'm starting, which is an escape room adventure, but it's for people who don't have a large friend group. And so their challenge is to try to break into the room where a bunch of people are having fun. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Martha Kelly's opening bit from her most recent set on Comedy Central's stand-up featuring series. Martha has been performing comedy for more than two decades, but only really started acting a few years ago when her friend, Zach Galifianakis, cast her as one of the main characters in his beloved FX series, Baskets. Since then, she has more or less stumbled into a surprising new career, appearing in huge movies like Spider-Man Homecoming and Marriage Story. But her current role as the scariest drug dealer on HBO's Euphoria might be her most impressive work yet. And because I'm currently so obsessed with that show, I really wanted to have her on this podcast as soon as I possibly could to talk about all of it, including the most recent episode of Euphoria, which ended with a particularly intense scene between her and Zendaya. Of course, we also talk about how her own issues with addiction affected her comedy career and share some memories about her Baskets co-star, Louis Anderson, who passed away earlier this year. Let's get into it. Here's me with Martha Kelly. Well, welcome, and uh, it's great to meet you. Thank you so much for doing this. I've really been just a, a fan of your comedy for a long time, but then most recently, just blown away by your performance on Euphoria. Um, Thanks, Matt. I I really appreciate it, and it's great to meet you. Yeah. Um, have you been Have you been getting much feedback, especially after this uh, last episode that aired? Um, this insane, um, this insane one that you were really a big part of, especially at the end of that um, episode five. Um, yeah, the Euphoria has really like in their fans are really amazing. And so um, I've been trying to limit looking at stuff on social media because if you go looking for stuff for feedback, you're at some point, someone's going to say something that hurts your feelings. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not um, spending a lot of time on Twitter and Instagram the past few days, but I have gotten really sweet messages from Euphoria fans, and it's it's just really nice. Yeah, you were right that they have very intense fans uh, of that show, um, of which now I, I count myself one as well. I'm just kind of obsessed with this new season. I think it's been so good. Um, and as I said, you're so good in it. I know you've expressed some reluctance to 
acting, you know, as a as a career in the past, since you you know most of your career has been as a comedian. Um, how did this happen? How did you end up on this show? Um, well, I think that Sam uh, saw baskets. Yeah. Or Sam Levinson is the creator of the of Euphoria. Yeah. And and or Marriage Story and um and then they just contacted me about the part of Lori and I was very scared. <laughs> I was scared <laughs> to do it cuz I've never done any character that's a villain and um Yeah. You know as a stand-up comedian you just want to do comedies and play likable characters. So I was really scared, but then I met with Sam and he was so great that I felt like, well, it's and also I'm a fan of Euphoria and I so it was like I'm scared to play a villain and I'm also intimidated by the all the gifted actors on the show and the writing and was like I don't what if I ruin one of my favorite shows? I was very <laughs> nervous, but they everybody was really nice, so it made it easy. Was there an audition process or was he just offering you the part or how did that work? Um, they just offered me the part. Um, That's pretty cool. It's like somebody dropped a winning lotto ticket in your driveway, <laughs> kind of, where it's just like, yeah, it, I'm really lucky. It was really nice. So, you know, you, you knew that this character of Lori was a, a villain going in. What did you, what was on the page um, in terms of who she was? And then, and what do you think, what, were there things of your own personality or, um, you know, approach that you were able to bring to it at all? Um, only, <laughs> only to the extent that I sort of have the same, uh, my voice and my emotional range <laughs> are kind of the same in real life and in any character I play. But um, I, I get that feeling. Yeah. So, but I, th I think that um, that Sam, you know, wrote, just wrote the character. Uh, oh, sorry, Barry. I just accidentally hit my cat with my shoe. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I, I'm not sure what his uh, process was writing that character, but it definitely it's it's all him. It wasn't wasn't my. Uh, I don't know. I don't know uh, Lori or you know, anybody like her, luckily, because she's a yeah, monster. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like kind of getting thrown into that crazy world of the show, especially in that first, in the premiere episode, there's just like so much going on in Lori's house and so many interesting people walking around, some of whom are naked. It was very intense. All the actors in that scene are so gifted that when I, like my characters sitting in a recliner, not watching what they're doing. And they're so good that it sounded like people being beaten up. And even though I knew that it's they're acting, it's still really intense to just spend a couple hours listening to the sounds of people getting hurt. I, I don't <laughs> I don't love uh, violence, but um I'm, it's such an it's such an amazing show and it's it's kind of bizarre that I got to be on it. It's just exciting, you know. Uh, I was curious whose idea the massage chair was because that must have been kind of nice for you. You got to spend probably quite a bit of time sitting in a massage chair. I believe I'm sure it was Sam's, um, and it was a real old timey working massage chair. So there were a couple times we turned it on for shots, and it did feel really funny. It just feels like little fists in your back pushing. <laughs> I feel like there's been a lot of um, debate around 
Lori's decision to give Rue the suitcase of drugs and sort of trust her with that. Um, and people, you know, sort of questioning why she would do that. This is an amazing plan. You're a genius. Thank you. It's true. I'll front you a 50K suitcase. Don't do it. You're too much of a fuck up. Maybe we should start smaller. 10K? Deal. That was very mature, Rue. If you pay each girl a thousand, you can flip it for 20 and that's 7K profit. Three to me, four to you. Uh, thank you, Laura. You won't regret this. <laughs> you pay up and re-up in a month. Uh, terrific. Rue, if you screw me, I'll have you kidnapped and sold to some real sick people. I always find a way to make my money back. I'm serious. Do you feel like you had to understand why she was so, like, casual about giving her the, the suitcase of drugs in that episode? Um, I don't... I don't feel like I spend a lot of time thinking about motivations of characters. If it's not something that I'm writing, I just um, go into it sort of blind, except afterwards. I would guess that her motivation was either, either she, you know, Rue is very convincing as a character. So either she, either she really thought, hey, this kid's going to, open up a new arm of my business via high school students or or she knew it would end up in trapping Rue somehow. I don't really know because I, I didn't ask Sam about it. But yeah, it is a strange thing for somebody to give thousands of dollars worth of merchandise to a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what has uh, acting with Zendaya been like i mean she is so compelling on this show i think and especially in this most recent you know episode five where she's really out of her mind um what was what was that like for you and i think you your contrast is so interesting too because she's like so um hyped up and moving and and you're very still and and um you know have this kind of as you said you know deadpan thing that you that you do so well so what was that like acting with her um, I was very nervous because uh, she's such a gifted actor. And uh, yeah, it's in, it's intimidating to be in a scene with someone who's who can go from like just, you know, having a normal conversation with the crew or Sam or other actors. And then when they start rolling, totally be in a natural seeming emotional state for the character. I really admire actors who can do that because it's it's different than I think from method acting from what I understand where it's not like being in character all the time so then the char- the camera rolls it's like being yourself and then in a split second being able to concentrate enough to get into that character. Um, so it's really intimidating, but she was so nice about it. And Sam was so nice that I think they knew that I was super nervous in the beginning and sometimes later. And they just were like, Hey, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, everybody was, was really sweet. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only actor to be, uh, nervous around Zendaya cause she is, (laughs) but I also was kind of struck that she just acted like, not one of the most famous people in the world. I 
it was like if you went to your friend's house and their their kid was visiting from college for the weekend and just like a normal That's what it felt like. Yeah, I mean she's it's pretty impressive. I I admire her talent and and her work ethic and she was very nice to me and I was really nervous so it it helped. Yeah, it's wild to think that she could kind of be, you know, joking around or, you know, just totally herself moments before doing some of the stuff that she does in the show because it is so out there. Yeah, I just imagine that actors at that level have a, a an ability to concentrate that I don't have and so I just it's it's amazing, you know. In this in this most recent episode, you also have this great monologue about um, what opiates do to your brain. You know, a doctor once told me they did brain studies on people who've done a lot of opiates, and that over time, all the chemicals in your brain that make you happy and feel good start to decrease because your body's getting it artificially. But the longer you use, it just starts to weaken and wither, kind of like a limb that's not getting blood to it anymore. And then it just sort of falls off, and you get something called cell death, where you just have these big dead spots in the parts of your brain that used to make you happy. No matter what you do, you can't ever get it back. He said it's basically the same brain as people who've had major strokes. But the silver lining is that the things that don't feel good don't feel as bad anymore. You know, if I was going through withdrawal, I would do anything. It's one of the good parts of being a woman. Even if you don't have money, you've still got something people want. (laughs) I would feel weird about big chunks of dialogue because because I do know that I kind of speak in a monotone. And if I yeah. have a long <laughs> stretch of dialogue, I try to modulate my voice, but it's difficult. And so that was my main, again, not being like a, not being like a trained real actor. My, my mind was on like trying to not put people to sleep and remembering the words rather than thinking a lot about opiates, you know, um, which I'm, I'm a sober for 18 years. So I definitely know the appeal of opiates and I also know, uh, the damage that they do. So I do, I'm familiar with that, but when I'm, when the camera's rolling, I'm always like, remember the lines, try not to put people to sleep and then um, just listen to what the director says, what what they want you to do. That's where I, my head is always at. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, your own um, issues and history with addiction because it is so central to this show. And it's also something that really you've talked a lot about in your comedy as well. Um, how did How did that impact this performance or even your, you know, um, desire to be on the show and did you ever you said you know you, you don't know anyone like Lori but did you did you feel like you had any relation to this this world at all from from your own experience um well I'm definitely familiar with the desperation that that addicts go through and the um the damage that that does to families and people who love you I I think that my initial reaction to reading the part of Lori was um, like, 
I can't, I don't want to play a character that hurts kids. I don't want to, like, to me, that's like the, the most despicable people are the ones who hurt or exploit kids. And so I was like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> I love this show and it's so awesome to be offered a part, but I didn't think I could do it. But that's why I met with Sam and and after talking to him, I was like, so, you know, it's Lori's not like in the violent scene or in the naked scene with everybody. Lori's not in there punching anybody or, you know, so, um, yeah, I'm scared of uh, that whole world. So there was like fear of of playing a character in it. It's not, I mean, everybody that I talked to about it was like, um, no one's going to think you're the character. Everybody's aware that this is a TV show, Um, but I'm just not that experienced. And so, yeah, I was kind of scared to do it. She's not violent at all, but she is terrifying. And, you know, there are these sort of subtle threats that are happening um, throughout and including what seems to be a threat about making Rue some sort of sex slave or using, you know, using her body to pay back her debt. Um, I know I'm, I'm still very worried about that as we're heading, you know, into the last few episodes of the season, it's unclear, you know, how much, um, you know, that's going to play into it. And I know, you know, we obviously don't want to spoil anything for people, but um, I guess my question is how worried should I be for, for Rue? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, to be honest, I don't know, because as a fan of the show, I, uh, I only, I only read my parts of scripts and, um, I have not, um, watched, like I hadn't seen that whole episode that aired this past week. So, um, so you're watching along as, as they air. Yeah. Cause I'm a fan. And so, um, yeah, it's just fun to watch it on TV. Yeah, you know. Do you kind of do you kind of forget during the episodes, like that all of a sudden that you're going to show up at some point? No, because uh, like a lot of uh, actors and comedians, I'm I'm always like kind of dreading watching myself. I think that's <laughs> how a lot of people feel about watching themselves. So I do always I'm always on guard, but um, but it's such a compelling show that it's. Like, it's easier for me to enjoy the episodes that I'm not in this season because then I'm not. And I, it's just such a beautiful show. It really is. It's incredible. And I think it really has only leveled up uh, in season two. It's just, yeah, really, really good. Um, going back to your comedy a little bit, um, you know, you talk in your, you know, you've talked to interviews and even on stage about how drinking really derailed your comedy career in a way, um, and that you really linked performing and, and drinking. Um, was it hard for you to, to separate the two, uh, for a long time and kind of, um, was that a, a big challenge in, in finding success in this business? Hmm. I mean, yeah, when I first started going to open mics, I did have a few beers before every time I went up. And then at some point I realized like, I'm better off if I wait till after to drink. But then because it's a progressive illness, by the end, it was it was like, I don't really I can't wait. I have to drink. And it did affect my ability to perform. And it affected like I wasn't writing new material. And um, 
I don't know how much that affected. Well, I do. Like I lost work at clubs because of getting really drunk for the shows at one club. And then the owner owned other clubs I was booked at and was like, yeah, you canceled. Um, I think it's easier to be creative um, sober. I think it's certainly I would never, ever be able to do a single acting job if I was still drinking. I mean, I I wouldn't be able to wake up in time for a call time and I wouldn't be able to focus on what was happening, you know, Mm -hmm. like the was there a was there a moment or, you know, something that that happened that really, you know, made you decide to to finally get sober and and turn things around? Um, I didn't have any like dramatic uh, hitting bottom. It was kind of just like being really miserable and not functioning for uh, and just, you know, kind of kind of being in a slow motion car crash with your whole life. And then, you know, it it's it's still mysterious to me how that moment happens for people, including me, where it just finally hit me one day, like, I'm either going to keep getting drunk every night and my life is always going to be the way it is right now, which is really bad, like really painful physically and mentally. And, um, or I'm going to never drink again. Like there's no way to manage my drinking. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. There's no in between. Yeah. And so if that is what you think, then you kind of have to stop. <laughs> I quit drinking um, a little over seven months ago. I was holding for applause. Um, (laughs) No, it's too late. Um, I also quit smoking and uh, thanks. Thank you. Um, Today's actually day 219 of Operation Stop Having Fun. And uh, so far it's been um, a complete success. I am. I hadn't realized how much time and energy I was spending on getting drunk and then uh, recovering from the hangover. And now that I'm sober, I found that I have a lot of energy to do stuff I never did before, like crying and cussing at strangers. What did it mean? Uh, how did it change your comedy, your stand-up, um, once you were sober? Was it were there things that were easier, things that were harder? Um, your in terms of how comfortable you were just being on stage sober? Initially, I think it was more, uh, it was more difficult to socialize with other comics when I was sober. Um, I think that, that, um, it's just always better for writing and focus on stage to be sober, even if you drink later, which a lot of people do, um, and more power to them. I don't think it's bad. It's just not something I can do, but but the socializing before and after shows was really difficult for it took a while for me to be comfortable sober coming up martha looks back at her time on baskets and remembers the late great louis anderson quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our conversations with other hilarious stand-up comedians like Maria Bamford, Jim Gaffigan, Margaret Cho, Patton Oswald, and everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Martha Kelly. You know, I think for me, the the first thing that I really, you know, took notice of you in was Baskets, um, which you mentioned. Um, it was sort of like your first real acting gig in a lot of ways. Um, did that uh, did that part come to you through uh, Zach Galifianakis? You, knew, you had known him uh, before? Yes. Yeah. I met Zach when I was brand new. Uh, we met at an open mic, uh, in West LA in 98. And, uh, yeah. And then we, we kept in touch, not all the time, but, but enough that we like, you know, we would talk after, um, the hangover, I think we would talk or text every six months or year. So it's not like we were hanging out, but, um, yeah, he just called me out of the blue in, I think, January of 2014 and said, I have this pilot and I want you to play a part. And then I said, I don't, I can't, I'm not an actor. I, can't, I don't think I can do it. And he said, don't worry, <laughs> don't worry about <laughs> it. It'll be fun and easy. It's not a big deal. And then, you know, he made it really this is just a magical experience. Yeah. Was it, was it, was he right? Was it fun and easy? Easy. I don't know. Like the first season of baskets, I looked directly into the camera so many times <laughs> that at one point I, I remember I would say out loud right before they said action, like, don't look into the camera, don't look into the camera. And, um, yeah, it, it's, but compared to any real job, for sure, it was easy. Yeah. <laughs> and it was always fun, even when I was scared and, and uh, self-conscious or, or uh, whatever, you know, insecure, it still was fun. Because Zach is a lovely person to be around. And John Kreisel, our showrunner and director, is lovely to work with. So I couldn't have, I could not have asked for a better first acting job. It was just, it was amazing. I was reading an interview with you where you said that um, you were worried you were going to get fired from the show when they asked you to scream and you couldn't do it. And I have to tell you that I really related to that because I, as someone who has also been accused of being a, a little uh, low key in my <laughs> demeanor, 
Um, and then there's also the scene in in Euphoria where you talk about how you your character talks about how she's never been angry. You want to know a funny thing about me? I don't think I've ever gotten angry in my entire life. Really? Well, I don't know if that's true. Is that true? Yeah, no, that's true. I've never gotten angry. Has that been a, a challenge for you in acting in that sense of, of um, you know, not sort of having the, the ability to get to that, you know, screaming level? Um, yes, it is hard um, just because I'm self-conscious and inhibited in real life. And so, um, and also as a stand-up comic, like you kind of don't ever want to lose your cool on stage. So it's actually really beneficial as a comedian to always have your, your emotions in control. And so it is it always does feel embarrassing if some scene calls for like yelling or intense emotion coming out. It's just, I'm, it's not how I am naturally, but again, compared to every real job I've ever had, (laughs) it's super fun and easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're talking just, uh, you know, a couple of weeks after we, lost Louis Anderson, who, um, you know, was your co-star on Baskets. And he's someone who I got to interview a couple of times. And just in those brief, you know, encounters, I found him to be such a a lovely person. Um, Can you just, uh, you know, share any memories of of him, maybe meeting him for the first time or or what it was like to to work with him on that show? Yeah. um, The first day I met him was, I think, the second or third, in the second day on the pilot. And, um, I was a fan and uh, and it, I was really nervous to do a scene with him. The first scene that we did together was the one in in Christine Baskett's kitchen where she's drinking a Kirkland uh, vitamin water. Just made my weekly run to Costco. Tropical mango, dragon fruit, strawberry mango fever. That's brand new. You know, I got plenty of choices, honey. If you don't see what you like here, I've got a whole garage full of stuff. Oh. I can't even park in there anymore. It's crazy. Which one do you want? Actually, uh, it's funny you mentioned Costco because um, I um, wondered if I could interest you in a... um, uh, Would you... Have you... Do you... um, Honey, get to the point. Can I just, may I please use your restroom? Yeah, I was really nervous. And Louis just immediately treated me like, oh, you're a fellow comedian. You're a peer. He didn't, he was so nice. And um, and and the, the hard part is that he and Zach both improvise a lot. And I'm not good at that. Like I, I'm very much a make sure I know my lines and, do what I'm supposed to do and don't go off track because I don't want to get in trouble. Um, but for Zach and Louie, like, and other good, other actors and comedians who can go off script and, and do it well, um, it's a benefit to the show. It's not, it doesn't ruin it the way I'm like afraid I would if I did it. But, but there were times, there was one time where Louie, asked me a question that wasn't in the script and I just silent 
quietly waited a second and then yelled cut. (laughs) And then Zach and John were both like, they laughed, but they said the only person who can say cut is the (laughs) (laughs) director. But if you've never, if you've never acted before, like in shows and movies, I mean, I thought anybody can yell cut during a scene, you know? Yeah, I think anybody should be able to yell cut. That seems like, yeah, you needed to get out of that moment. (laughs) (laughs) But it was fun. And yeah, Louis just constantly made people laugh. And um, yeah, it was just, he was just always funny. And and no matter how many takes we did for something, he just, he just was relentlessly funny and, uh, and then could play the sweet vulnerability so authentically. It just, Brilliant. Yeah, it was it was such an incredible performance that he did on that show and and in such an odd role in a way, you know, playing this older woman, um, which is just not anything that anyone would have expected him to do at that stage of his career. Um, and I know he also, you know, talked a lot about how it drew on his own mother, um, you know, for the part. And yeah, I mean, what what do you what do you what do you think it was that made that performance so special and so unique? I think it's um, partly, uh, I think partly it's that they didn't play it as a gag, like a, they didn't play it the way that sometimes sketch old, I don't want to, how do I answer this? I thought that it might just be a gag of like this male comedian who does sometimes in his standup would do impressions of his mom is going to play a mom but they did it in a very real non-gag way so that the hum- the humor wasn't that this is a man it was this is a really funny mom um a re- you know um yeah i don't know it's it's also like the writing the directing louis acting it, it it just was part of it is just kind of a mystery and kind of magic to me you know yeah definitely um so baskets not only you know opened the door to euphoria for you but also to some of these you know film roles in in some really big movies um Spider-Man Homecoming you were in um and then uh Marriage Story that you mentioned um was that surprising to you that you were all of a sudden you know getting these these big opportunities to be in in films yes every to this day every acting job i get to do is a surprise and a very welcome surprise but um yeah i'm i'm really lucky i'm turning 54 this month and so i was like 46 or 7 when uh we did season 1 of basket so that's pretty late in life uh, as a performer to get uh, an opportunity like this. Um, so it is always a surprise. And for sure, like Spider-Man Homecoming, I definitely was like, um, I don't think I can do this. They're go- they're going to be disappointed because they're going to... The way I read the script, I thought that they were looking for maybe a character like Melissa McCarthy's in Bridesmaids and like I can't do what she does like she's she's another um actor who I am just a huge fan of and and who's one of the funniest people ever um but I was like this isn't 
I can't do that. They're going to be mad at me if I take the part <laughs> and then show up and I can't do it. But then I talked to one of the producers and they were like, no, we know what you do and that's what we want. And, um, you know, God bless them. It was so fun and amazing to get to, to work on that. Yeah. I mean, that that's like this huge blockbuster movie and then there was marriage story which was a you know much smaller movie in a way but it was a you know best picture nominee and was you know with these huge actors in it so what was what was that one like for you to kind of and that's a a you know decently sized role that you have in that film as well um that was also very intimidating i i think in my opinion adam driver and zendaya are kind of both at that level of gifted actor where my definitely yeah going into it being like god please don't let me ruin a scene with <laughs> this amazing actor and and writer directors like um it's it was intimidating but again like everybody was really sweet and uh I'm really lucky because if I had an acting job and wasn't doing a good job and people yelled at me I would just do what I did at any regular job, which would be like, well, I guess goodbye. (laughs) You know, like I don't have the, I don't have the inner fortitude to work with people who are mean. So I'm really lucky because they were super sweet. And Adam Driver, again, just like going from just having a regular conversation with um, the, you know, Noah and, the crew or the actors, and then immediately going into character in such a natural way, even at the auditions that I did, like the last audition for that part was reading with him. And I was like, I don't. Yeah, that, that must've been scary. (laughs) It was, but, and it was like, it's so exciting to get to see people that talented doing what they do. It's just, you know, it's a whole nother world that it's fun to get to just, be a satellite and get to see what's what people are doing with that. It's it's thrilling like it is to see a stand-up comic that I love. It's just it really it was intimidating but also really exciting. So what I want to do now is our final segment which is called the first laugh. So the first one is the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid. Do you remember anything growing up uh, that you really connected to and really made you laugh uh, growing up? Um, I think that, I think that as a kid, I remember loving the bad news bears. Um, and uh, as an adult watch it, rewatching it, like that's not a kid's movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> not really. No, there are kids in it, but yeah, but we thought it was funny when the kids in it cussed and, you know, um, I do remember being like, I don't know, like 10 or 11 and uh, being at a friend's house and they played a Steve Martin album and I they laughed really hard and I laughed because I knew we were supposed to laugh, but I didn't understand. Like <laughs> kids don't understand adult humor, nor should they. And so, um, but of course, as as I got older, I did laugh at Steve Martin because he's amazing. But um, yeah, I don't, I think mostly kid humor was like other kids doing silly stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you remember the first time that you knew you were funny, that you had the ability to make other people laugh? I don't, (laughs) 
I don't, I don't know that I think of it that way. I still, you know, if I have one bad stand up set, then I'm like, I'm not funny. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> so I don't yeah. think of it that way. But I, my first experience with being in front of an audience and getting a laugh was high school. Uh, this, this uh, play, I think senior year. And it was like, I, the couple sketches I was in were comedy parts of it. It was a comedy musical and it was a bunch of sketches. And so that was intoxicating. So that's what made me want to do stand up. And what about the first time you performed stand up? Where, when was it? Where were you? How did it go? What do you remember about that, that first time? The first time I performed was at the Laugh Factory open mic and it was in the early to mid nineties. Um, I can't remember. It's probably 94 or five and um, waited in line all day. Like you had to get there in the morning, sign up and then wait all day just on the sidewalk. It was, it was a whole uh, adventure. And um, when it's your first time doing an open mic, if the announcer says that, the audience is very generous about it. So I had an unrealistic uh, idea of how good I was at it because the first time went really well. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to come back next week. I've got to have a whole new material. And then probably in a few weeks, I'll get on the Tonight Show. Like I just had (laughs) these unrealistic ideas. So the second time I did it, I bombed. And uh, I bombed so hard, I didn't do it again for a year. Um, And then finally, I just started doing it every week. But the first time, it went well. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that story a lot from comedians that their first time went well. And then the next, you know, 20 times were terrible, but it's, but it's that, I think there's something about that first time going well, that, that gets you, you know what it's like to succeed. And then you keep, that's what keeps you going back. Maybe it was one of the most, um, there is no feeling like doing stand up and the audience enjoying it. It's just, it's the best high in the whole world. <laughs> um, do you remember the first joke that you wrote that really worked that you could go back to again and again and, and people was pretty consistent? Uh... Yes, I do. And it's embarrassing. It was, it was <laughs> an, I can't believe it's not butter joke. And it, it I'm not going to do it because it would be too painful, but, um, it was a lot of my earliest jokes were things that um that I said to my family, you know, like my uh my mom and dad had a great sense of humor and uh and my twin sister and brother, um older brother. But um yeah, I would just I just would write down things that I said to them that they laughed at and that's how I had stuff to try when I was new at an open mic, but yeah, we thought the I can't believe it's not butter riff uh, was hilarious. Uh, but this was <laughs> the 90s, so <laughs> it was a long time ago. You made your late night stand-up debut on, I believe, on Conan in 2002. Uh, and what do you remember about that experience of, of getting, you know, you said you, you thought you might be on The Tonight Show the next day after uh, after the laugh, uh, you know, the but then... It was. It took a little longer, but what do you remember about finally getting on late night TV? Um, well, I remember that Conan was really, really nice, and so was everybody. Um, like the producers and everybody. I I was afraid it would. I was so nervous. I was afraid that the producers 
um, backstage before I went on would be annoyed and like, you better get it together. This is a TV show, (laughs) but they weren't, they were just really nice. Um, I don't remember anything about the actual set, um, what it felt like, or except that I was terrified and, and I thought I was going to lose my breath. I was so, uh, panicked. Um, but I, going into it, I thought like, this has to be the best stand-up set I've ever had in my life. And if it isn't, my career is over and, um, and didn't, you know, learn until later, like most people, their first stand-up set on late night TV, um, they don't bomb, but it's also not, that's the best thing that's ever happened. Yeah. Cause it's also really hard to be that good in five minutes on T, you know, when you're on TV for the first time. And yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's, I could imagine that that's not easy to make that the best set you've ever had. I was really, yeah, I was really nervous, but, but, and I didn't feel good about it after. And then Conan, when it was all over and he's saying goodbye to everybody, he, and I was like, I, sorry, I didn't do better. And he was like, no, you did great. So they were really nice about it. And then as far as I know, this was before social media, but as far as I know, nobody that saw it was like, we've got to drive that lady out of show business. That was the worst <laughs> yeah. thing in the world. So it, it was ended up being okay. I grew up in Los Angeles and uh, I had some kind of weird times when I lived out there. The weirdest one being when this complete stranger asked me out on a date at a stoplight. Um, I used to drive an old Volkswagen Bug and so at first he was just talking to me about my car and I thought that's probably harmless, but I was really relieved when the light changed and I sped away. But then he caught up to me at the next light and he started talking at me again. And um, eventually he goes, hey, do you live around here? And I said, no, I don't. I live very far away. And he goes, well, why don't you give me your phone number and we could go out for coffee sometime? And I was like, yeah, okay. Or you know what? How about I'll just meet you naked at a shallow grave and you can push me in? Because that's what you're about, buddy. And then, hey, thanks a lot, you guys. Thanks. Do you have a story about the first time you met a comedy hero, someone who you really looked up to in the in the comedy world and getting to meet them for the first time? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know that I have a good story about it, but I definitely was and continue to be starstruck by Janine Garofalo and uh, getting to do the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, getting to do a show that she was also on and seeing her in the green room and just feeling like I just have to go up to her and tell her how much I love her. I know it's probably annoying, but I have to. I just... I remember the first time I ever saw her do stand-up and everybody in the room watching the TV was mesmerized. And we remembered her and we would afterwards be like, you know that girl we saw that night? She's on the Larry Sanders show. And, you know, yeah, she's one of my all-time favorites. So did you go up to her? I did, and she was very nice about it. She's <laughs> yeah. really, yeah, I I do love her, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so, she's great. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I like to give comedians a chance to shout out other 
comedians or comedy that's making them laugh. So what's the last piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? Something that you found really funny um, on TV or, uh, you know, on a, in a movie or something, anything that you've seen that, that you thought was really funny? I feel nervous about picking just one because I... Oh, you don't know. You can be more than one. <laughs> or leaving anyone out because um, I most of my friends are comedians. So um, the, and also I don't mean to be uh, to annoyingly dodge the question, but I do feel like because of Twitter and TikTok and Instagram, it has made it very clear to me that there is unlimited comedy in the world. That's what's so Def- fun totally, yeah. about it. Um but I know, like, I listened to um, my friends Megan and Eddie's podcast, I Won't Listen. And um, I love uh, the Jackie and Lori show is a podcast that I listen to every week. Um, and this is a plug, but I'm on a, a, a podcast called Double Threat with Tom Sharpling and Julie Klausner. And um, so I love a, I love a lot of... Um, podcasts and of course hacks the tv show oh yeah there's, fantastic yeah there's so much um there's so much good stuff out there it's yeah there is unle- there is endless comedy that's why i'm never worried about running out of guests for this podcast because uh there's just so many comedians yeah and i'm forgetting a bunch <laughs> of stuff that i'm sure i watched and listened to just the past few days you know um it's there's just so much good stuff out there yeah, well, uh, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. And um, as I said, I've, I've really enjoyed your comedy and now I'm just loving you on Euphoria and just so exciting to see you there. And I'm excited to see what happens next. I'm, as I'm, I'm, I'm worried, but I'm excited. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much to Martha Kelly for coming on this bonus episode of the podcast. Euphoria airs Sunday nights at 9 p.m. on HBO, and you can catch up on any episodes you may have missed. On If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.